I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me this week once again is the lovely and talented miss sarah buck hello and this episode the majority of it is going to be an awesome interview that i had with mike flanagan who is the writer and director of oculus the uh, newly released to dvd and blu-ray film came out this tuesday um starring karen gillian and katie sackoff who both kick ass they're both Seriously. Uh, The movie is one of the few horror films in recent memory that actually creeped me out. Anytime you have really creepy ghost demon-like figures that glare at you or have anything like, you know, twisted evil grinning, that's that's when you get me. (laughs) Yeah, that gets me. That's, That's the one that gets me too is ghost horror. Like, seriously terrified of ghosts. Well, and this one, the parents turn against the children, and it's just messed up. There's a lot of messed up in this. And the um, the film itself is actually very complex in how it's laid out. And part of um, why I love talking to directors, and especially writer-directors, um, in, in this interview, Mike talks about the complexity of how they had to lay out the scenes in this because you have future crossing over with the past and the past crossing in the future, sometimes in the same scene. And having that in a screenplay form is a lot more difficult um, to convey what you're trying to do visually to an actor when they're, all they can do is read it. They don't see it. And it's really interesting to hear how they, they laid this out and were able to convey it to the actors and the, um, the other crew on the film. And it's brilliantly done. Um, and I love this movie. It's just really creepy. And it's an original horror film, not a sequel. And it did really, really well. And um, Mike's not too sure about doing a sequel to it because it stands on its own, which is nice, too. It's a, it's a fully engulfed movie. It doesn't need a sequel, even though it could do one. Um, you don't need it. In this which case. is awesome, though, because that kind of opens it up for, like, more original horror, which I think that's, like, I love being nostalgic, but I really thirst for some really good, like, new original horror. Right, and, and we also talk about the fact that this movie almost didn't make a theatrical release. Um, it was almost direct-to-DVD, which would have been a, a, a real shame. And the movie made, like, I think he made this on a budget of maybe five million dollars and it made over over almost 50 at the box office which is great so um that being said mike flanagan that's coming up and also i have to geek out about this because he is a massive whovian and we we geek out over our love of doctor who during this interview as well as he's a massive bsg fan so basically fanboys out there listening mike lived your dream and got to um have his uh, movie both with Starbuck and Amy Pond, and he got to tell them what to do. 
That's, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, fanboys. There you go. There you go. So Mike Flanagan, awesome interview. Um, really enjoyed it. And um, that's coming up. But before we get to that, we have a Week in Geek to get through. And this is a much happier Week in Geek than last week's Week in Geek, um, which we kind of focused on a lot of dark and negative things. Uh, that whole episode, including... The movie that we were we did the interview for with uh, James Franco was a downer of a movie too. The nice thing is his voice is pretty. So this is true. This is true. I feel like that was enough of a bomb for last week's episode. <laughs> um, but like that said, nobody can say that the fangirls shy away from like the meat of like that kind of like you know. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that like just want to focus on bad stuff. Yeah, we focus on stuff that's a lot more fun. But, hey, we don't shy away from the issues. No, and um, I still stand by what I said in that episode as, as does Sarah with, um, even though as as more information came out on the attack at Comic-Con of the cosplayer, um, and we found out that um, it wasn't a sexual assault uh, as such, but that she fell, which is still sort of a gray area, um, the uh, the point still stands that this girl was hurt, and um, and it also still stands that if you see someone that might be in trouble, it never hurts to go over and ask and check on them, or um, if you see people that may need help at a con, uh, always you know be a good fan, be a good fan. Um, to other fans and help them out and uh yeah just be respectful as well it's it's one of those things it still doesn't change what we said you know like we spend we spend a lot of time like fan worshiping our heroes and there there's nothing stopping us from being heroes uh just our own like insecurities and just thoughtlessness it's the only thing stopping you so so be a fan be a hero yeah i mean the worst thing that can be done is they turn around and say f off or they say no i'm fine thanks i mean yeah, yeah that's all it takes is just to be be nice and respectful and do what you would like to have done for yourself if you were in a bad situation Love your fellow nerd. I don't care if they like Twilight or Sexy Roger Rabbit. Love your fellow nerd. <laughs> exactly. Um, so speaking of nerds, we've got a lot of nerd news to get through here really fast. Um, the biggest of which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Woo! Which kid? I'm, I'm totally hooked on that feeling. I am hooked on that feeling. Ukachaka, ukachaka. <laughs> and I'm totally sexually attracted to a raccoon, which um, Sarah and I are talking about our feelings on this and yeah. coming to terms with our feelings with being sexually attracted to a raccoon. And I'm yeah. okay with it at this point I'm, in my life. I'm fine with it. I've come, I've come to the realization that sometimes you need to just take a minute and reevaluate your fetishes. <laughs> like, Sometimes you see something, and and maybe as you're reevaluating something, you're like, you know, maybe this this isn't a thing I'm super into. It was just Bradley Cooper. That's completely acceptable. But if it is, you know, maybe you find something that grinds your gears. Maybe so, maybe you are secretly a furry. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, embrace it. Love love it. Cuddle your maybe, furry. Cuddle, cuddle your inner furry. Cuddle your inner furry. <laughs> But uh, let Rocket Raccoon bring out your inner furry. Let Rocket Raccoon blast you off. They, oh, I just said that. Oh, <laughs> and oh. you can never unsay it. I can't not say that. Yeah, no, that needs also, to be on a T-shirt. Also, like, <laughs> like my whole thing was as much as I did love Rocket and Bradley Cooper too. Man, he gets me. But yes. um, Drax, my God, I think I think I have to be like a little bit more sexually attracted to Drax. I think I think I got that from Sarah because we saw this together the first time we both saw it and she was like gleefully cackling it about Drax. It was so oh, funny. My God, he's brilliant. Dave Bautista, I love you. That, it was really if good. If you're listening, which I doubt, but maybe. I always, always just in case. <laughs> just in case. Because you never know. But yes. Dave Bautista, 
stole so many scenes. Brilliant, brilliant man. I, I just have to say, and, and I've talked to James Gunn a couple of times. I've actually interviewed James Gunn, but I just really, really want to give James Gunn the biggest hug and ruffle his spiky little hair for this movie. Yes. I, I really do because his inner fanboy was on display for everybody on this. He it had heart, it had soul, it it had all the feels, as Sarah said before. All the feels. All the feels. And yeah. um on top of that, he snuck in all these little things. Like at one point I saw Lloyd Kaufman and we already knew Nathan Fillion was in there. Um, and then on top of that, even more stuff's coming out that he snuck in because he's a little, he's a geek. He's one of us. And he got all this stuff in the movie. Um, and I will, I would tell you about somebody else who I found out is in it, but I can't just in case somebody listening to this has not seen the movie yet. <laughs> we'll discuss that next time. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. The the collector's area is where a lot of this stuff gets snuck in. And um, as as it's being leaked out, they, uh, James Gunn has released the fact that um, Adam Warlock's cocoon is in there. And I guess I, I it it's somewhere in the collector's area. And then also... And this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, this some of the worms from Slither are in there because they're from outer space, as we already knew. So they're in there as well. And um, there's probably a ton of other. There's tons of other stuff that he sneaks in. But um, I mean, that's where Howard the Duck shows up. Yes, and that's so the big. Yeah, that's that's top, um, top left hand corner. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, that big where you get that big shot with the collector. And top, uh, top, not left hand, stage left hand corner, but right hand corner, if you're sitting in the theater, there's a really clear shot of Howard the Duck for like a second and then it blurs back out. Right. And, and that's where, um, Cosmo is, Cos, yeah, Cosmo is. Yeah. Uh, he's in there too. And it's, it's a, it's just a really good place to stick Easter eggs because he collects all this stuff and it's just brilliantly done. It's great. It's fun and oh it's great i love this movie thank you james gunn you're the man um another movie coming out this month that i am super excited about uh is my secret crack uh the expendables three it's on and and i've talked about my love for just my inner 12 year old boy that i have inside of me that i've always had which i'm not going to get arrested for because it's inside me and you can't find it ha <laughs> ha Sorry, <laughs> that's just twisted and wrong. What I just said. Um, it's it's okay. We're, it, we support you. It's okay. It's okay. We already just talked about wanting to have sex with a raccoon, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We the, can't really get any more weird than we've already yeah. done this. So we've we've crossed the veil. Um, so Expendables three is coming out this this month, and I am super excited about it. Uh, Mel Gibson's basically reprising the role he began in Machete Kills, which if you have not seen. You need to rectify that right the hell now and go watch it on on Netflix streaming. It is stupid fun. Um, But Expendables 3 uh, is great. And Sly Stallone's already doing um, press about this. And he's talking about the Expendables, which is the female version that he's wanting to make of the Expendables. Yes, please. And it gets better. It's not only is it a female Expendables, but... He wants to have Sigourney Weaver be the lead in it. And he's he's wanting her to play Barney Ross's wife, his character from The Expendables, who he divorces and she gets half the mercenaries because, you know, you split it half and half. <laughs> and that just sounds awesome. It's I, so cute. You it's don't have horrible. to you don't have to sell me anymore, Sly. I'm I'm on board. Yeah, and uh, like I was telling Jessica earlier, I'm like it did. I'd like hardly a day goes by when I don't talk about Sigourney Weaver. She is amazing. Well, they need to have Sigourney Weaver, and they need to get Gina Davis because yeah. if anybody has seen Long Kiss Goodnight, you know that she can kick your ass, and that would just be phenomenal. And um, also, also, I would go with Jamie Lee Curtis as well. Ooh, I would because you know in they my could mind, have like, a scene with her and Schwarzenegger. That would be yes. hilarious. Like, yeah, we need uh, to write this. 
We should. We should. We should totally put a script together and just be like, here you go. Here you go, Sylvester. Ring the bell. There you go. There you go. Yeah. See, and that would be great because it would be written by women, so nobody could be like, oh, I, I would love to have Laura Dern in there too because yes. Hello Wild at Heart, Jurassic Park. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely put a very sci-fi spin on it because not only are those women known for their roles in action, uh, but also in science fiction. Oh, it would be great. We could have it in space. I don't care. We could just go ridiculous yeah. with it. Yes. And you can have to go walking around like a, a space station going, this seems oddly familiar. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, my God. We're getting way off track. Yes, we are. We have spun that out of control, which happens. Yes, which happens. it does. It does. But. Um, People but love us for that. That's true. Say. And we and we kind of always kind of come back in a full circle. So speaking of space, um, something was announced this week that made both of us very, very giddy and happy. And that is it sounds like um, Disney is going to have a Star Wars expansion in its parks. Woo! All I've got to say right now is... Uh, suck on that, haters. Yeah, I know. I'm, like, amazingly happy about this. Because Star Tours was, like, one of the biggest things ever for kids. I went like, on it five times the first time I ever went to Disneyland. Yeah, I mean. That's all I wanted to do was go on Star Tours. Yeah, Star Tours was, like, this ma- It was one of the first major film tie-in rides ever. Like, the big ones. And, and then in the hotel room at night, I was, um, I was seven years old by the way, when I first went to Disneyland and I wanted to go on star tours a whole bunch and space mountain. And then at night I would demand on the free, I don't know what movie channel, probably HBO that the hotel room we had there in Disneyland was, I demanded we watch star Wars every night. So I lived it up big as a seven year old. You know what? I think I was 10 maybe, or I was older than that. How old was I when I got to star tours? I mean, it had literally just opened when I went, it was, it was that long ago. I haven't been to Disneyland or Disney world in years. So at some point that's getting rectified. Really? We should do this. We should do fangirls at Disneyland. Oh God. Yes. And we will take a video camera with us. (laughs) We have to do that. That would be phenomenal. So yes, um, there will be an expansion apparently, and there won't be any more info about this probably until next year, but they're talking about it. Yeah. And the other thing is like people, when it came out that Disney was acquiring Star Wars, people were like, oh, this is the worst thing that could happen. And I was like, no, it's not. That's amazing. Now Star Wars has so much money, guys. And only good things can come of this. Yeah, and and Lucas isn't really doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. It's, it's Yay! I mean, we love you, George. <laughs> you do a fabulous treatment. You do a fabulous treatment. Just don't direct it. Um, so speaking of Marvel type things, Marvel just won a big old game of chicken because DC blinked big time and they are moving Zack Snyder's Batman versus Superman colon Dawn of Justice question mark exclamation point from its May 6, 2016, not this this coming year, but the year after, so 2016, they're moving it from a summer date to a March 25th date that same year, which is odd to me. Almost like they they are too afraid of the entirety of summer to... Well, it was, well, to be fair, it was going up against Captain America 3. Right. And just no chance. Absolutely no chance up against a Marvel movie. Especially after Ultron comes out when everybody's going to be in, like, Marvel mode. Yeah, well, everybody's been in Marvel mode for years now. Yeah, true. Like, the DC movies that have come out, which, what have we had, like, one? We've had the three Batman movies that that, uh, no one did. And that's it. Really, when, you know, like, I feel, though, that, like, those were kind of, like, once Iron Man came out, it was all Marvel. Like, and DC has had a couple things here and there, but they have just not, it's just kind of, it's kind of sad, really, 
kind of sad. It, it, it's funny how DC's comic-inspired um, cartoons are the good ones. I keep saying this. Their cartoons are the most awesome ones. The Marvel ones are not nearly on the same level as good as dc's cartoons are they keep canceling them though yeah so it's not it's not really it's not as as great because like you're like oh this cartoon is amazing and then it gets canceled it's weird well the attack the attack on arkham one is coming out i think it's called and um i can't wait to see that that looked phenomenal i think that suicide squad is actually in it and uh, it, that looks really good. But it's always the same. DC's cartoons rock. Marvel suck. Marvel's movies rock. DC's not so much anymore. Um, and even though I saw footage of Ben Affleck looking like a live version of the Batman cartoon character Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That's who they're look, he making him look like. It's kind of funny. He's, he's actually, they've got him built like that now. They've got the big ears, right? Well, no, he's he's like as Bruce Wayne. I saw them filming. There, there was footage, and he's in Bruce Wayne mode, and he actually looks like the Kevin Conroy voiced Bruce Wayne come to life. <laughs> it's really funny how much he looks like it, but I still, I still need to hear him talk. I still need to see something to make me believe Ben Affleck can do this. I'm sorry, yes. his glowy white eyes in that two like minute and a half stare down contest between him and Henry Carville um, hasn't sold me yet. So you're going to have to sell me on something guys. You're going to have to give me dialogue. Um, So yeah. And, and as I don't know if you guys have been reading um, on fangirlmag.com, but I go off about the Wonder Woman costume. We're still not convinced. Mm-mm. Gal Gadot, we're just not. Sorry. It looks like something Xena had at one time. Yes. Really. Um, so I just I just think that I, I think that, and along with this announcement that they're pushing the date is also the announcement. They put out this schedule, uh, this like cute little schedule of like, August 2016, something from DC is coming out. Something 2017. Like every, every, like, like there have the schedule of like two a year movies for the next, like, and then they have the event movie. Yeah, and the event movies, movies. which don't even have anything to do with DC, but they're like, woo. Um, But it's like, it's like, okay, well, which ones is it going to be? They don't tell you. Yeah. They're like, they're like, well, this is a schedule. And then I think they just don't have anything yet. No, they're, so, they're putting a lot of stock into this movie that hasn't even been released yet and planning all this stuff. And there is a very good chance that this movie could tank. Oh, it's, it's, it will. I mean, I, I, I'll go see it. I am not going to lie. I'm going to go see it. But there is a very good chance that this movie is going to tank. It's not going to have make enough money to um, justify all these other films you you know and i you know i just they don't they don't even have anything they they won't announce any names and it's like and it's like um also this week announced uh marvel got back the film rights to ghost rider punisher and blade this is true along with daredevil yep i i mean i mean it's just like i i feel like they're treading water they're just like look we can do things too (laughs) (laughs) like it's like it's just like sorry guys by the way if if marvel really wants to make my tra la la gleam they will do a um midnight suns movie because i want it i want it bad i mean i've and they've already got um photos out of filming of the netflix daredevil oh yeah it looks cool and I did. It's just like it's. They are like, yes, this is what a studio should be doing. Um, you know, like they're thinking female forward. They've already confirmed a Black Widow movie. It's like balls in your court, DC. Come on, come yeah. on. Yep, 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 yep. No, they they are so behind in the times. They won't even let Batwoman marry her girlfriend. So. I know, and they lost the best artist on that. Like, oh, oh, that still shocks me. <laughs> well, 
Well, we were going to talk about the strain, and then we got off topic and started ranting about DC. Um, but if you're not watching the strain, just really quickly, you really need to be watching the strain, and preferably with booze like Sarah did, and you can read about that on fangirlmag.com. Um, and since we didn't get to watch it, um, watch it, I mean, since we didn't get to talk about it again this episode, so basically I wrote up a slightly buzzed um <laughs> Uh, recap, like shot for shot recap of episodes two and three of The Strain. So since we didn't talk about it again this week, I will do the same. I will bite the bullet. I will take one for the fangirl. <laughs> and she will drink and watch The Strain because sometimes you just watch need to. watch The Strain to. again for you guys and I will write my reactions to it. Sometimes you really do need to drink while you're watching this show, especially when penises are falling off into toilets. I love it so much. Like, like it's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous and it revels in this ridiculousness which is what i had really hoped for it i was like oh this this could be so good if they just kind of revel in the cheesiness and they do and it's beautiful and it's wonderful especially if you drink because let's be honest like sometimes you need a little help with your attention span well and on top of that i mean it's it's actually highly disturbing in some spots like this Why? week's, this week's oh episode God. with the random corpse pooping. And and I think we were all Sean Astin in that scene as he goes, oh, my God. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I relate to Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee will not be eating second breakfast right now. He's puking it up. You know, right. that's really what. That's really what I took from that episode. And it's just, it, you know, I love that Del Toro and, and Seth Hogan and, and, the, and the guys that are making this, just, they're going for it. They don't care. They don't care. They're, they, the doors have been flung open by The Walking Dead and all these other shows. They're just going to show you whatever the hell they want. And if that that is dead bodies releasing guano I know, ammonia like, poop. Yeah. <laughs> ammonia <Guano>. poop. <laughs> I love how many references this show makes to guano. It's brilliant. Well, it's got to go somewhere. Well, it's like it's like you got to have bats in there, right? Well, it's got to have poop. I mean, where's it all gonna go? You know. So, bats? and then you you realize after they say this that that airplane was covered in poop. That's yep. what it was, and it's like, oh my god i need a bath yeah it's like ew. Oh, so oh. <laughs> with with that joyful thought we've we we continue our our fangirl radio talking about just disturbing crap <laughs> literally disturbing literally crap. disturbing yeah um so anyway uh we are now going to take you to our mike flanagan interview and um like i said the um, the DVD and Blu-ray of Oculus was re uh, released this week. Go pick it up. You will not be sorry. It also includes the original short film, 32-minute short film that inspired Oculus is on there, as is a great making of. And you get to see Mike's T-shirts that he wore um, on that making of, which I picked out immediately. I'm like, oh, he's a Whovian right there. Yeah. Um, and so with that, Here's our Mike Flanagan interview, and um, guys, tune in next week. We'll have more for you. I may even be playing some of my audios I got from Comic-Con, which include Brian Fuller and Raul Esparza and the cast of Hannibal. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Thank you again, and here's our interview with Mike Flanagan. Hey everybody, I would like to uh, welcome Mike Flanagan here, from the director of the very creepy and very awesome Oculus. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for joining us on Fangirl Radio. Oh God, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, first of all, Oculus scared the crap out of me because there's an inherent creepiness with mirrors that you played on very, very well. And I have to say, the the mirrors in the eyes of the ghosts was probably the top creepy part of this. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the design of of the ghosts and what went into? Because probably the top monster in this would have to be Katie Sackoff. I mean, just yeah, not totally. Yeah, but yeah. can you talk about uh, the design aspect of this a little bit? Sure. We we had kind of been, you know, trying to riff on that idea that, you know, the eyes are the, the window to the soul. Mm -hmm. 
um, and to kind of, you know, incorporate some kind of really soulless, reflective quality to that. <laughs> and um, having mirror eyes sounds really cool, like when you throw it out in a room, but um, trying to design it is actually really tough because, you know, you, you'd have like 10 people sitting around a, a table trying to figure out, like, is the, is the mirror behind the eyes flat? Does it you know, cover the entire socket? Does it cover the eye like a contact? We, we had probably a dozen different variations of it um, that all looked kind of goofy. <laughs> and uh, we tried to do contact lenses, and they don't, they don't really make those, like, like a, a really reflective chrome contact. Um, so we ended up doing it all digitally and went with, you know, what I think is actually the simplest of the options, and I think hopefully it was the right choice because the more elaborate we tried to make it, the more it just, you know, didn't look like much. Um, but it, it reminds me of an image that, like, scared me uh, like crazy when I was a kid, which is weirdly in um, Superman 3, the Richard Pryor <laughs> Superman, um, where, like, this, this woman gets, like, uh, taken over by a computer at the end. Yeah. And her eye opened up, and it was all silver, and that just scared me to death as a kid. So um, what we ended up kind of landing on was similar to that, and I got that same kind of, like, you know, that same kind of startle out of it. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was something that that I, I ended up being really happy with. And and when it comes to Katie Sackhoff, um, she actually created much of, of that monstrous appearance herself, just uh, physically, um, like she didn't want she didn't want Marie to come off like a zombie um, or to come off like a ghost, and she ended up kind of coming up with this very feline kind of parkour movement. Yeah, she moved uh, really, really um, like creepily, like she like with a lot of grace, but with purpose and, and yeah, yeah, and determination, and it came off very feral. Yeah, Sarah, I think, is, is the perfect word for that. Like, And um, I remember when uh, she first got to set, she came a few days before production began, and, and we would uh, sit in the conference room of this hotel where everybody was staying, and she was crawling up on the tables and, like, running and jumping <laughs> over the stairs and, like, trying to find this movement, and um, it was really fun. And she just threw herself completely into it. Um, pretty much everything she's doing with, you know, charging up and down the stairs, and at one point she's chained to a wall um i bumped into her in the elevator the morning after we shot the scene where she's chained to the wall and lunging against the chain and she had these huge bruises around her neck oh uh, and i assumed she had just come out of makeup <laughs> yeah. and um but they were from they were from the previous day's shoot she was just throwing her body into it that that oh. much she's really hardcore the katie sackoff <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Um, so I kind of I, I like that you brought up the whole because that's what I took from it too was the the eyes are the mirror to the soul and you really um, you really bring up all the different ways of reflection in this too because the whole um, story and how it plays out with the the past echoing and reflecting in the future or the present and vice versa is just really well played. Um, can you talk about um, the the process of putting this story together? Because you did the screenplay as well as directed this, right? Yeah, it was um, from a, from a writing point of view, it, it was really hard, um, and it was kind of that thing where you know I I had done a, a bunch of little tiny movies, um, but never had gotten a chance to do like a like a quote unquote like real movie before, and so when it looked like this was going to happen. You know, you're you're first really excited, but then you're like, oh my god, this could be the only time I get to do this. So you <laughs> want to throw everything you can at it. And um, when we were writing it, it was you know it was an, an expansion of a half hour short, which is really all just took place in one room in the present. And once we kind of hit on the idea of telling two stories, it was like, well, they need to completely inform each other. And that idea of having a motif of reflection and distorted reflection. Um, you know, it's really important to try to, to thread that in throughout the script. And the way we ended up doing it, because it got so confusing, um, we were back and forth in time an awful lot in that movie. Oh, yeah. And I wanted it to be so, like, every time we transitioned, there needed to be a really good reason to do so. Um, like, every every little beat had to have a twin. You know, there was a, if something happened in the past, we needed to have it answered almost immediately in the present storyline. 
so that the two were always kind of uh, kind of ping-ponging off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so we sat and wrote out both stories separately. And it was like, this is, this is the entire past storyline, this is the entire present storyline. And we wrote them all out on index cards. Um, and we were in this little rented, like, garage vacation rental, I mean, Jeff Howard working on a script for a week. And <laughs> we hung all the index cards from the past on one wall and all the index cards from the present on another. And once we felt that, like, both stories were, were complete, we started moving cards across the room and tried to tried to set that structure up, you know, as, as thoroughly as we could in the script because we knew we wouldn't have time to to find that in post. So when the, the script was finally written, um, all of the transitions were written in um, in such a way that we had to execute them that way on the day or the edit wouldn't work. And um, it was really tough to show the script to people because it was an incredibly confusing read. <laughs> and um, we ended up having to do, it, it's simple, but we ended up having all the past stuff italicized on the page and all the present stuff looking normal just so that actors and financiers and executives could read it and understand where we were in time, um, which we, we try to tell them. It's like, it's going to make sense when you see it, but they're like, well, in some of these scenes you've got, you know, you've got the, the kid characters stepping past their adult counterparts in the same moment. It's like, well, well yeah, that's going to be part of the fun of the movie, but, you know, it, it was really hard to get that across on, on a script page. And um, so, yeah, we, we built it as meticulously as we could, and then we're lucky enough to have a cast that, you know, could kind of sift through this very Grinthian screenplay and, and would show up ready to work and, and kind of understand how it all fit together. But it was, it was certainly hard. See, that's one of those things I love hearing about because it, it, you never hear about the complexities of something like this in the script and how you have to convey it to people that aren't in your head and know what you're wanting to do. And when it's just in paper, it's, it's a lot more difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's impossible to read that stuff. And, and, you know, even some of the actors at times would be like, okay, so for this scene... You know, Karen Glenn would be like, so is this me doing this or is this Annalise? And it was like, well, <laughs> both. <laughs> um, and the way we're going to have to shoot it is, you know, you're going to have to come in the door carrying, you know, carrying the lantern, and then we're going to have to call a hold and fly you out of the frame and put Annalise in a golf club standing exactly where you're standing. And you both have to react to the same thing, and it'll all make sense in the edit. Um, but, you know, there's... Certainly, we, we asked a lot of trust for the actors for that because there were times where people were just lost. And, um, you know, Rory Cochran at one point is carrying a plate of food up the stairs to bring to, to Katie Sackhoff, who's chained up upstairs. And, and in, the, in the course of that scene, he walks through the house uh, <laughs> fully decorated um, for the past storyline, fully empty for the present storyline, and he passes and interacts with both Annalise and Karen at one point. <laughs> and Rory's just carrying this plate of food, and he's like, all right, you know, I guess. This is weird. I'm like, yeah, it, it really is, dude. I'm sorry. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work. It's going to be cool, but just, just carry the food, and it'll all work out. And, um, yeah, there's just moments of that where the, the actors have to just kind of be like, all right, if you say so. That's hilarious. So um, I love the fact that you got, in one movie, two very beloved female science fiction icons playing two very determined. I really appreciate that. Can you can you talk about the casting? Did you mean to get two icons of sci-fi in this horror film? Um, it was a dream come true for me. I'm a big sci-fi geek, and I'm a major Whovian. I'm a big Battlestar fan, and the funny the funny way it all worked out was back in 2005, uh, we had finished the short film, which is really just one guy alone in the room with the mirror. And the first thing we wanted to do when we talked about a feature expansion um, was to change the gender, um, come up with a really great heroine, and the voice that we used to create that character, which eventually became Kaylee, was Katie Sackhoff. Um, and we had a picture of her up on the wall, and we were writing, and it was like, you know, this is we're, we're trying to write a heroine the likes of which Katie Sackhoff would, would embody. And uh, so she was the inspiration for Karen's character. <laughs> um, and as the years went by, and uh, it took, you know, it took seven years to get the movie made, uh, as, as that all kind of went, went its way, um, 
I, of course, was you know a religious Doctor Who fan and loved Karen's work on that show. And so she was the first choice for Kaylee. Um, when we cast her, I was kind of over the moon. It's very rare that you get your first choice for any role, uh, particularly Karen Gillan. So it was really, really incredible. And um, we hadn't really considered Katie Sackhoff for the movie at that point. Um, we, in, in our casting efforts for Marie, we'd been looking at, you know, at actresses who kind of bring that a much softer kind of expected maternal quality to it. And when we found out Katie was available and had really liked the script, um, like the light bulb just went off and it was like, I've never seen Katie do something like this. I think she can make Marie much stronger and much more interesting. And then the geeky fanboy in me was like, I can't, if there's a chance to get Amy Pond and Starbuck in the same room, I have to go. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so uh, we, you know, we, we were able to cast Katie very quickly. And when she and Karen showed up on set, it took me about 24 hours to get over just the, the geekdom of it all. Um, and they were both very patient with me for that day, which was great, because I mostly just kind of stared at them both and kind of jumped up and down and clapped. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I calmed down at a certain point and stopped, you know, quoting their TV shows and we got to work. But um <laughs> But yeah, it's, um, I think the two of the strongest and most dynamic uh, actresses working and in a genre that I think tends to really, you know, re really weaken and underutilize women um, to, to have two characters of that caliber in, in movies is just a real gift uh, for me. And, and they're two of my favorite people, both of them. That's awesome. And I noticed when you were making it, I, I love the fact I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff that you were wearing a, uh, an 11 t-shirt. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's um. We had a. a I, I did a, a couple of days where I was wearing a "So Say We All" T-shirt, and so Katie got visibly just kind of irritated by it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first talked to Karen, um, when she had read the script and they said she wanted to Skype and, and talk about the movie, I was so excited and trying to play it really cool, and I wanted to be like, "I'm this. Hey, I'm this." filmmaker coming out to America and do this, you know, your first American movie. And I was playing it all cool. And um, we're Skyping for about 10 minutes and I reached down to take a sip of my coffee. And I hadn't, it, it hadn't occurred to me that my coffee cup is actually a TARDIS. <laughs> um, and so as I'm sitting there being all like, yeah, I'm cool, I'm casual, whatever. And drinking out of this TARDIS, like Karen started laughing and, and you know, she said she knew she had the part in the back. <laughs> you played your hand too quickly. Yeah, yeah. I gave I gave it away, and um, and uh, it was really neat because uh, you know it's I, I ran out to to meet her for the first time. She was in L.A. for one day on her way to Comic Con, and um, I went to meet up with her at a at a bar in Hollywood uh, the day before she went down, and and she was going to do the movie, and it was all exciting, and we just wanted to say hi. And I got there shortly before she did, and she said, hey, you know, go get a table. There are actually going to be three of us. And I was like, oh, no problem. And so I waited at the table for her, and she showed up with Matt Smith and Arthur Darville. <laughs> um, and uh, I completely, completely lost it and was just a kind of a stammering idiot for most of that first hour of that evening. <laughs> and um, in a similar thing to the TARDIS, um, I had left my house that day not planning, not knowing I was going to be seeing her and not, certainly not knowing I was going to be hanging out with, uh, with, with Doctor Who himself. Um, I was wearing uh, the same t-shirt you're talking about oh, behind right. the scenes footage, <laughs> and it didn't occur to me um, until he kind of pointed it out and was just like, hey, is that me? And I was like, oh, I'm, it's pleased to meet you, and yes, I'm wearing your face on a t-shirt. <laughs> Did you get him um, to at least sign it? <laughs> No, I, I, I managed to avoid, it was tough, but I managed to, like, avoid all the impulses of, like, hey, can, can I have your autograph, and can you take a picture with me? And I, I did eventually, I did eventually get a great picture of me and Matt and Karen at the premiere, that I'm really, like, that was probably my favorite part of that evening. But, um, That's awesome. But, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a geeky fanboy at heart, and so this project was, um, was a real, like, exciting thing. It, not only was I able to go out and, like, make a movie, which was, a movie I've been wanting to make for for almost a, you know ten years. Um, I did get to kind of live out a bunch of of nerdy fanboy fantasies doing it, and that was really 
That is amazing. I have to ask now because we we are I specifically am like the biggest Whovian I know in this town that I live in. Are you excited about the new Doctor Who at all? Oh, Dr. Capaldi? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he's. I think he's great. Um, I think he's a, a fascinating choice. And like, I thought the way they teed him up at, at you know for his intro on, on the uh, time of the Doctor, like I don't know if they're doing an amnesiac Doctor or what they're doing with him, but it's going to be cool. And I think he's an incredibly gifted actor, and I can't imagine Stephen Moffat's not going to hit it out of the park. So, well, yeah, the, I, I can't wait. The thing I love about him is he is a huge Hammer horror movie nut. And oh, yeah. oh, totally! And he's a big, giant, massive geek fanboy about Doctor Who, and all of the same stuff that we all love. So I know he's going to bring it. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked! I'm very excited. Um, I heard they're doing a, a theatrical release of the. I've already got my the ticket. premiere of the I, season. I, I cannot I, wait. I already got my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, where do you get them? I gotta find, I gotta figure out where it's going. Oh, oh Fathom Fathom Events dot com, and they're doing some cities are doing a midnight premiere on on that Sunday of of the theatrical release, and then they're doing them on Monday as well, more wide release. And wow, okay. and they're gonna have like extra goodies on them as well, like behind the scenes well, stuff have, and things. So. Fathom Fathom Events dot com. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Come on. I'm off to do that now. Yeah, because um, are you in L.A.? Because it, it'll probably sell out there, I'm guessing. I am in L.A., and uh, I'm I'm all movie snobbish. I tend to only go to the Arclight Cinemas in L.A. Oh, I would, too. I, they'll be running it, but I'll go wherever they've got it. So Yeah, totally. Um, get, get that now, because that's going to be... I loved going to the one. I can't believe we're, we're verging way off topic, but I don't care, because this is I know. great. <laughs> People listen there like, what? <laughs> The Whovians are happy. The Whovians are geeking out. I loved going to the time of the doc or the um, the 50th anniversary one because it was like a big giant Whocon squished down into a theater. I had a gal that came with, and she was giving out actual real jelly babies. And Aww. and she was dressed like five, which made no sense. But her husband wouldn't dress up as four, so she's like, "I have to give them out as Peter Davison." And <laughs> it was it was hilarious. And you had yeah, it was just amazing. And people were like cheering and crying. And we'd already seen it already, but we didn't care. So <laughs> yeah, no, of course. No, um, I I I was in production when that came out, so I had to get it. I did that like same night Amazon instant thing, and like created this incredibly complicated contraption to try to get a Blu-ray player with Netflix hooked up to a uh, hotel room. <laughs> um, so I could see it that night, and I was like, I was trying to shut down production so I could go watch it. Um, yeah. I, the coolest one on Oculus, actually, was a Karen's final episode um, as Amy Pond um, uh, premiered, I think, a week before principal uh, photography began. Uh-huh. And so we set up a little screening while we were in prep on Oculus at the cast and crew hotel, and I got to watch I got to watch that episode with her, and she hadn't seen it yet. Aww. Um, yeah, that was really cool. She cried a lot. Yeah, that but, was the um, Time of the Angels one, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, or Angels Take yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Yes, Angels Take Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, that was rough. That was a rough one. Yeah. Um. I, I, I cried more for River um, in terms of that episode because it's kind of like the doctor kind of forgot she just lost her parents. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> parents dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, poor River. Well, River just gets, yeah. I love River. River, River gets kind of the short end of the stick every time. Um, like going going all the way back to, you know, Silence in the Library. It's like River always ends up taking the big hit. Um, <laughs> Like they, they haven't the, said for sure. But the two of them so. together would be amazing because the snark level would just be off the chain. I think between Capaldi and 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 uh, River Song, I think that totally. Oh gosh! So back to your film. <laughs> 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 um, the the uh, the one thing I, I kind of found really fascinating and 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 uh, was the fact that the mirror never really let Kaylee go. In in terms yeah. of, I mean, it basically played her like a puppet, and 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 was her own it, it, kind of spoilery here. But you know, it was an instrument of her own downfall. 
she was. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really fascinating. Um, but the ending of this movie is not a happy ending by any stretch of the imagination. Did you? Quite polarizing. Yes. Yeah. And can you talk about? Um, I, I think I've kept you too long, but this is going to be my final question. Can you talk? Did you have any kind of pushback when you submitted the script, or um, any of the, the to the studio going to you and saying um, this is not a great way to end this? <laughs> Um, there was uh, there was significant pushback about the ending, and, and it was something that um, I, I had felt from the beginning that that was the only honest ending the movie had. Um, was that if we if we had set this thing up and said it is this kind of ancient and unbeatable force, and then beat it, um, <laughs> that that it, it felt really dishonest. And one of the things that drives me nuts about the genre is when you set up these incredible you know, these incredibly terrifying entities, and then they're like, you know, they're bested by a teenager in, in 90 minutes. Right. Um, like, it, it always kind of rubs me the wrong way. And for this one in particular, in that in that idea of symmetry, you know, um, like the, the ending of the movie is, for me anyway, perfectly symmetrical. You know, um, we're, we're seeing the resolution of the story and the moment that kicked it all off. In the, in the, yeah, the moment that kicked everything off, happening simultaneously. And the, the symmetry of it, I just could never let it go. And we knew when we turned it in that the studio was going to be pushing back to say, you know, well, it's funny because people look at that ending and they're like, oh, it leaves it open for a sequel. And it was like, well, no, it doesn't necessarily. It, it concludes this story is the thing. They had wanted at certain points to leave certain characters alive and things like that. That would absolutely tee it up for a sequel. Um, and because we actively did not want to be thinking about franchising or sequeling with this film, it was like, okay, I, I love this ending. I think it's dark and tragic and sad. And it's like we're seeing, the movie's about seeing, you know, the fuse being lit and the bomb going off all at the same time. And it's there was no... There was no other ending that I thought was realistic. It was like, it, this is the way it was always going to go. Um, the only other variation that I considered was just reversing, just flopping who it was that actually died at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but that seemed even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's funny for me because it's like, I, I'm very pleased with the ending. We knew it was going to be a problem. We knew when we tested the movie, uh, we had you know, with the test audiences, we had about 50% of the audience who loved the ending and 50% of the audience who hated the ending. And it was like, well, then at least we have a unique ending. At least we're not going to just kind of play it down the middle. Like, let it, I'd rather be polarizing than forgettable. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly, certainly been debated pretty fiercely in, in the, in the reviews and, and on the message boards and things like that. And I, try not to read too much of that stuff, but I always get sucked in and, and kind of, because I want to know what people think, and I know it, it's really upsetting some people, and that just tells me that it's like, well, if nothing else, we made them really care about her, and that's a good thing. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, the biggest pushback we got was on the ending and on the idea, which is the other major complaint I see about the movie, is, is people want a origin story for the mirror. Um, and I was, the I was wanted that too. Well, I, you know what? Uh -huh. I, I thought would be really neat to, to, if, you know, this movie made a lot of money. It did a great job with, um, with a, a small budget making its budget and a lot more back, which was phenomenal for a horror film. Um, yeah. I'd love to see the past owners stories in some way or form because i always love the historical stuff like that and i that was one of my favorite scenes was her going through the pictures and showing all of these horrible tragedies that have gone on you've got like 45 stories you could tell oh yeah no there, there's no shortage of material if we wanted to do more um and the studio would like to uh you know for me it's it's kind of like um i i I jumped onto another movie right after and have another movie coming up next year already. And it was like, if, if the timing works out and it's, and, and there's a take on a sequel that 
that makes me as excited as the first one, then I'd love to do it. What I don't want to do is like cynically crank out a sequel um, to try to make money. There's no you know? horror franchises that do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know. I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to drop names. But <laughs> well, it's, it's just funny because like, um, and it was interesting because like even Jason Plum, who, you know, is like Mr. Franchise, you know, uh, when he came onto the project, it was like, let's, we're not even going to say the word sequel. We're not even going to go there because the story is very... It's self-contained. Yeah. 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 And and he's like, you know, if, if the right thing comes along, then yeah. But his thing with it was he got involved with the movie because he saw it at Toronto and thought it was really, really different and is in a place himself where he's like, the, the market's oversaturated. There's a lot of content that's just kind of recycling ideas, and he's like, I just want to get different things out there on a wide release, because they almost never get a wide release. And, you know, he, he was like, I'm not here to start a franchise, I just want to get this movie out on 3,000 screens, because, you know, movies like this don't get that kind of release, and he's, he's right about that. Like, we were touch and go on the release up until the 11th hour, it looked like it was going to be straight to DVD. So, um, in fact, it was, I think, his involvement at Toronto that made it possible for them to put it out wide because if, if the studio couldn't have put you know uh, from, from the producer of Insidious and Paranormal Activity on the poster mm-hmm. they never would have released this oh yeah wide. no that's that's how the game's played and it's kind of sad that that's it is how it has it's to depressing. be yeah. and then it's funny because you get you get horror fans who are like oh the wide release market is all just the same old stuff we want something different and then you get a movie out that's different and you get the same horror fans you're just like it wasn't what I expected <laughs> <laughs> give me pablum <laughs> give me I, I want a cookie I want the cookie cutter movie what happened no, no I know no. It's, it's, it's so frustrating because it's like you know being a horror fan it, horror fans are the best fans in the world and the most passionate and they're so like we I should say we we are so volatile with our, with our love of the genre <laughs> and it's like you know, I was so excited because uh, my last movie was seen by like eight people, <laughs> and like the eight people that saw it, like half of them <laughs> really liked it, and were like, "We wish movies like this could get a wide release." And so when it, when I knew this was going to go wide, it was like, "Oh, this is great! It can finally like I can get something new and different out there for the fans, and it's the kind of movie I would have sought out and, and been excited about." And the the polarizing reaction. Um, was really just kind of surprising to me. It was it was like, oh, well, I thought I thought this is what we wanted. And was like, no, it's not what we wanted. Okay. Um, and then some people, you know, some people really dug it, and some people didn't, and that's fine for any movie. But it, it's it's tough. It, I've talked to a lot of other horror filmmakers as I've gotten to go on the festival circuit and stuff, and, and there's this kind of like there's this kind of confusion. Uh, with everybody where it's like everybody wants to deliver material that's going to make the fans happy like everybody wants to please the fans and no one knows how to do it <laughs> like like nobody knows what the what the rules are that's going to make for like a a a wide release horror film to really set people on fire and then when movies like The Conjuring come along and just dominate yeah. you know it's like everybody looks at them and they're like well what what about that resonated like what was that a definitively better film than some of these limited release films that, that we all love? And it's like, no, there's just some magic and there's something that happens there that we can't even quanti- we can't quantify it. And we, the problem is if, if a filmmaker or a studio tries to just recreate it, which is what a studio will do, like, how do we do our contract? Oh, they've already, they've already got the sequel. Annabelle's coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, she is. And, and it's like, they're going to try to just hit the same note they hit last time and, and make money and... You know, then the fans feel that, uh, and they feel exploited, and they understand the cynicism behind it, and the whole cycle starts again. And so it's like, you know, a, a lot of the filmmakers that I talk to, everybody's just kind of like, you know, it's like we just try to make, we try to make the movie we want to make feeling as though it could be a big hit or a total failure, and we may never get another at that. So we might as well just try really hard on this one and just like cross our fingers because there's no way to know, you know, what works and what doesn't. Right. Well, way too late. And that's kind of like the movie Mama, which I absolutely adored. You know, it was different, it was beautiful, and it was a horror film, and it did really well. And I was I was shocked and happy by that. 
Oh, it killed, and and they um, they spent more money on that movie than like there's the sense with horror movies that you either have to do them under five million dollars and kind of do the do the Blum model, mm-hmm. um, and then that way you can't lose money, but you're at that point resigning yourself to making a movie in a house and with a cast of four, and it just kind of is what it is. Um, or you've got to go and do they used to you know the forty fifty million dollar you know, what lies beneath is like a hundred million dollar movie and they don't do those anymore. So it's like anything over $5 million is a huge risk. And I think Mama was like 20. Yeah. It and, was, it was um, higher budget. Yeah. Like somebody really put a lot of belief into that. And, um, I think that's the only way you can really win is like, you've got to just like put all the chips down and really commit to, to the movie. And, I, I think um, that one, I think that one, you can attribute that to Del Toro and his his sure. name coming along with that and producing and giving the movie what it, you know, the push it needed. And, and boom, it happened, which is great. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it absolutely is. And it's, it's stuff like that that, you know, keeps adrenaline going with filmmakers and with producers trying to find financing because they can point at those things and be like, look, this is a movie that didn't follow all the rules that the studio system insists you have to follow in order to be successful on a wide scale. And they're like, this, this is a risky movie and it worked. Um, so things like that, you know, allow people to continue to, to finance risk. And that's the only thing that's going to keep the genre safe and, and you know, keep it alive is, is if people keep taking risks. And, you know, Oculus was a massive risk for the studio and for the financiers um, to the point that, like, it looked for a very long time as of the film was going to not be distributed. And, you know, if nothing else, like, it did well enough that at least it rewards that risk and has allowed us to go off and make another movie. Um, but it's, you know, playing playing roulette kind of every time. Oh, every yeah. time you, you finish the script and turn it in, it's, it's roulette. Because um, sooner or later, because sooner or later you're, you're going to miss or sooner or later people aren't going to want to take a risk again. Exactly. So I think I was reading up on on your on your IMDb that you've are you working on Gerald's game upcoming? I am. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I know. I've I've um I've been wanting to make that movie for my God since I read the book in college. <laughs> um, but I, I tried five times to get the rights to that to that book and couldn't get them. And um, when Oculus came out, uh, King had seen Oculus and really liked it, and so. I, I got Gerald's game. Sweet. And, um, I love it. It's it's such a like I read that like, when I finished the book. I was you know always thinking about movies, and it was like this this one's almost unfilmable. Um, <laughs> like uh, it's it's I for years I was like I don't know how you make that movie, and then I came up with a, a take on it. I was like I think this is how you make the movie, and um, I'm a slavish Stephen King fan so whenever people change his source material too much I get really mad <laughs> and so like I, I I wrote the script and, and brought it to him and, and this is like you know I think this is going to not only tell the story um, in a really interesting way but it's not going to piss off your fans and you know I'm the first one in a, in a Stephen King movie to like throw his popcorn in the air and get mad <laughs> I feel like they taken too many liberties and I feel like nine times out of ten they do so it's like it's a real it's a tightrope to walk because you want to make it seem you have to you know especially a, like Gerald's game it all takes place in one essentially in one location inside one character right. mind and it's really hard um, to make that visual and um, it's it's pretty experimental what we're doing with it but um, but yeah I cannot wait for that and um I think it's, you know, it's. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to approach the material at all if, if Oculus hadn't happened and, and gone awesome. the way it did. That is um, awesome. But it's, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. So, who would you cast in this movie if you had your druthers, or have you got someone cast already? Uh, we don't have a cast yet. Uh, we're just kind of getting into all of that. My dream version of the movie would probably be Kate Winslet. Um, but. I doubt she'd do this movie. <laughs> um, so, you know, and there's always that thing, it's like, how, how how high do you aim in casting 
um, because at a certain point you burn months just sending scripts to actors who don't need to do a movie like this. And um, but yeah, I, I think that I would love to see that version of the movie. I think there's a really incredible like Vera Farmiga version of the movie. Um, we've talked a lot about Halle Berry lately as, as an interesting option. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tour de force for, for the right actress. Right, that's going to say, this is a juicy part, so you might be surprised at who would uh, go for that. Yeah, it might be worth, you know, rolling a couple dice, because um, I think it's, it's either going to be a part that an actress like reads and puts down and says I have to do this or it's going to be one where they put it down and they're like I would never come near this with a 10 foot pole this is <laughs> like I, I'm way too exposed I'm way too vulnerable there's way too much I have to do um, but uh, yeah for the right actor it would be great and you know there's also a part of me depending on how long it takes to get the production mounted because these things all take on a life of their own um, you know I, I would it's, it's a it's a part I I just as, as happily, you know, work with uh, Karen Gillan or Katie Sackhoff again for. Um, so it depends on when it goes. But, um, but yeah, for it's going to be a dynamite, dynamite female lead for the right actor. And, you know, God, I, I hope... Uh, yeah, I hope we, we have something cool to announce about that before the end of the year. That would be awesome. Well, Mike, I want to thank you so much. I've kept you way too long, but this was just great to talk to you. It's great finding another another kindred soul and, and Whovian love and, and horror movie love, and, and it's just great that you're getting to, to do what you love, which we're all about that here, and, and props to you, man. This was a great film. I loved Oculus. It was creepy, and I don't get creeped out anymore, and this creeped me out. <laughs> so, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's, that's huge. Thank you. And yeah, maybe I'll, I'll bump into you at the uh, at the premiere for uh, for the next season. That would be great, man. All right. Well, thank you again, Mike. And Oculus is hitting DVD um, August fifth, which is tomorrow as of this recording. And you need to check this out. It's already on demand and online on iTunes. But if you want to get scared to death. And be looking behind you in a mirror for like at least a week after seeing a movie. This is the one to do it. So check out Oculus. Thanks, Mike, again. It was great to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you.